baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. House Republicans impeached Alejandro Mayorkas on their second try. It's happened yesterday. Alejandro Mayorkas is the Homeland Security Secretary. He was impeached with the margin of a single vote last night. Um, and on charges that he is accused of mishandling the southern border. Republicans have tried to do this for months. And they did it yesterday on the second try, even though, and we're going to speak with a legal scholar in a minute, but I have been reading that legal scholars say his actions do not constitute high crimes and misdemeanors required for a conviction. So, and, and some even say the impeachment itself is unconstitutional. So what do we do with this? I got lots of questions. The man who has the answers, as always, is Hamlin University Law School professor and constitutional scholar, David Schultz. Professor Schultz, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. Thanks, Georgiana. I'm glad you have me on today. Were you surprised this happened? No, I wasn't surprised. Is that is that the Republicans have been itching in the House to impeach somebody for a while. Um, and and they're probably going to still try to impeach Biden for something at some point down the line. But here, they've been complaining about the, the southern border issue, making it, a along with Trump, a major political issue. So they decided to focus on Mayorkas um, and impeach him. Uh, and so not at all, not at all surprised, but we have to read this in terms of it being an election year and it being all about politics. You said they were trying to impeach someone for a while. Don't you impeach somebody who has committed crimes? Like, were they just looking around to impeach somebody? I guess I don't understand that. Can you clarify a little? <laughs> sure, sure. What, what I think has started to happen now is that the impeachment process is becoming sort of a, um, almost like a game of tag. You know, so what's happened is Nixon was, was almost impeached, but didn't happen. Um, then the Republicans got even, even with, with Clinton. Trump has been now impeached mm. twice. You know, so now the score is what sort of what th- you know three to one or something like that. Now, now we have to kind of even the score again uh, as a Republicans and now get it up to at least three to two or something like that. And then finally impeach Biden, so it'll be three to three. So if you hear the cynicism in my voice, um, you yes. should because it's, it's 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 all about I think about about politics. It's all about political scores and during an election year also where. Donald Trump, as we know, is facing 91 criminal charges, um, four criminal trials, and he's going to be distracted by by those trials. I think mm-hmm. one of the ways of evening the score, impeach Mayorkas, may, highlight the issue of the border security, maybe eventually impeach Biden so that he has to deal with these issues during an election year, and it takes some of the focus off of, of Donald Trump and his problems. So to me, if I if I talk as a political scientist and not not as a as a lawyer for a second or law professor, this is all about politics, mm-hmm. campaigns and elections. But coming back to your earlier question here, um, it's about 
his handling of, of the, the border issue, and is it a high crime and misdemeanor? Yes. Two answers. One, the very cynical, cynical answer um, is one that Gerald Ford gave when he was in the House of Representatives 50 years ago. And they said to him, what's a high crime and misdemeanor? And he said, whatever a majority of the House of Representatives says it is. That's the cynical answer. Okay. Um, mm. if, we, if we go back to James Madison, to the constitutional framers, at one point, the phrase was going to say treason, bribery, or high crime and misdemeanor, no, treason, bribery, or maladministration. And, and Madison came back and said, no, you can't have impeachments for policy disagreements, for disagreements in terms of, of where you just, just, just disagree on, on matters of policy or principle. It's got to be something more than that. And here, it's, it's about what? The Republicans in the House disagree with the way Mayorkas is, is handling the um, border security, taking his orders, presumably, from the president. It's a policy disagreement. And how do you resolve policy disagreements? I think it's called mm-hmm. campaigns and elections. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the ways mm-hmm. to do it. So, so, so here, most of us who would say, does this rise to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor the answer is no. Um, it's really it's all about a policy dispute. It's about a political dispute. And we're using the guise of the impeachment process to to try to uh, make political scores. Uh, David, I love talking to you, but I'm actually disgusted by this conversation because that's what politics has been reduced to, um, evening scores. And so, so just for some clarity on this, right. Right. high crimes and misdemeanors does it have a legal definition or is it truly whatever the house deems it so they can use it to impeach? I want to, well, if we go back to sort of the, the history um, and it goes back to England, goes back to like the 14th century in England, mm-hmm. we, we think it has, and, and the few successful impeachments and convictions there have been in the United States for, mm-hmm. um, for, for people who've been like judicial officers and so forth, it has to sometimes it has to be a real crime, but not always, but it's oftentimes been a real crime. But it has to be something so serious um, mm-hmm. that I'm going to say if I can call it a constitutional crime that, for example, let us say a a, a president um, just is completely derelict in his duty, fails to perform any of his functions as president of the United States. Um, um, would that rise to that level? I would I would hope so, you know, but the mm-hmm. problem has been there's been so few successful convictions um, and none successful um, at the presidential level. We're kind of left in the dark wondering about it. And in my in my constitutional law class yesterday, um, we actually were covering the topic of impeachment. And it just happened at the time, you know, Mayorkas was, you know, was, was being impeached. And one of the things that we've been talking about is the fact that that given that impeachment is supposed to be a disciplinary tool on on officers of the United States, including the president, for when they mm-hmm. act so unconstitutionally that that they no longer deserve to be in office. And and I'm not sure in this case here that disagreeing on how to handle the border um, rises to that level. Right. And if I even want to be more cynical now, um, I could say at the same time they're impeaching him, um, they're, they're refusing to vote on a border security bill, uh, which might very well make it possible for Mayorkas to be able to solve some of these problems. 
This is, we are a mess. We are an absolute mess. I'm speaking with Dr. David, Professor David Schultz over at the Hamlin University School of Law on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Mayorkas is now, and we're talking about the impeachment of from House Republicans by, or the House, excuse me, because they won with one right. vote, uh, right. the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Homeland Security Secretary. He is the first sitting cabinet member in U.S. history to be impeached. Now, where is this going to go? Because it's unlikely that the Senate is, is yeah. going to impeach him. Yeah, he's the second, by the way. The first one was oh, back in sorry. 1876, and he was the secretary. I forgot what it was under the Grant administration, um, but he actually had been convicted of, of bribery. So he pretty much deserved to be impeached, but he, he was smart enough to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, that's a crime. He, he, mm-hmm. he resigned. But yeah, but here it's, it's looking like at this point, um, it's supposed to be there's supposed to be a trial in the Senate and to convict. There has to be a two thirds vote. Um, 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 Schumer, who's the majority leader, um, McConnell, who is the minority leader, have been talking. And it's, and, it's, and it's not clear at this point if they've agreed to saying we're not even going to hold a trial or if they're going to say we're going to dispatch of this really quickly at this point. Because uh, I'll give them credit, both McConnell and, and Schumer have, have basically looking at the same thing and saying, you know what? This is really not um, something for the Senate to deal with. This is not a high crime and misdemeanor. So I wouldn't be surprised um, if they just basically say, fine, you impeach, do what you want. We're not going to hold a trial. Or they just basically do a quick vote and say, um, this is nothing, and they walk away. Wow. Okay. Do nothing and walk away. And then nothing really happens. This isn't going to change any policy, or this won't have any repercussions other than this political win, like you mentioned. Is that right? Exactly correct. So it becomes something else um, that maybe the Republicans can use going into 2024, um, along with Donald Trump, you know, who's talking about border security issues to say, well, look, it, we've done something about border security. We've we have um, impeached the secretary of Homeland Security. Oh. That counts, doesn't it? Ah, well, see, you shed some light on that. What did I not ask you? I don't know what I don't know. So what else do the listeners and I need to know this morning? Well, what you need to know at this point, again, is the main thing is that the process is what? He's been impeached by mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's a majority vote. In theory, there has to be a trial in the Senate of which two-thirds of the Senate has to vote to convict. Um, where, um, if a trial were to actually occur, um, it it would it's not a regular trial like a criminal trial where there's rules of evidence and due process. The Senate gets to pretty much do whatever it wants. Um, and given that, um, the Senate probably will make um, um, short shrift of this um, and move on to other stuff. Yeah. I know you got to get back to class, but I so appreciate you making the time for us in between uh, your lectures. David Schultz, professor, law professor at Hamlin University and constitutional expert. Thank you for shaking this out with us today. My pleasure, Jordana. Thank you. Yeah, I love hearing from him. He just makes it plain. Again, poli- politics at play, politics at work. And by the way, impeaching someone is not going to solve the border crisis. House Republicans knew that the Senate would never go for it. There are going to be no consequences of impeaching him. It's not like your your policies that you haven't really come up with are going to be put into action. This is just like a very typical political ploy. And I, I, I'm listening. I hope we're all listening because the people that we elect, 
made this happen. The people that you and I put in the house made this happen. And I hope that if we don't like what's happening, we understand the power that we as Americans, that we as the electorate have to make a change. When we get back, David, we are going to do quick takes and you will surprise us with what you're going to surprise on me next. Well, Jordana, you might be interested to know that there's a new trend at some vegan restaurants in New York City. That new trend? Meat. A vegan restaurant has been forced to start serving meat because too few of its customers are vegan. The owner of Noma's Gastro Pug added meat to their menu after too many customers would come into the restaurant only to leave once they read the all-vegan menu. Joe, I know you started eating vegan a a few months ago. Um, What would you think about this? If you went into a vegan restaurant, that that's their identity, here's who we are, we are vegan, but, oh, by the way, there's still a cheeseburger on the menu. Right. I I mean, again, I don't judge. Restaurants, I go to regular restaurants that serve meat and also have plant-based options. It's not like I'm boycotting anything. Um, I mean, if they can't make any money... And they're okay serving meat. I say you got to do what you got to do to create a solvent business. If you still want to have a restaurant and nobody's coming, maybe your model is wrong. So like if you open a restaurant and there's bad food, you probably change the menu and you get more customers. I have no problem with people doing this, nor am I offended or upset when people are eating meat. I used to eat meat as of, you know, two months ago. It's just Mark and I made that decision for us now. We're going to try vegan. But also, I still cook meat sometimes. Like if I'm having people over for Shabbat dinner, I'll make chicken or I'll make a brisket for my guests because I understand not everybody is vegan and not everybody wants to be. So I have no problem with this this restaurant saying, look, this business model isn't working. We're going to bob and weave. If you choose to die on the vegan hill, your business will probably die. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go do something else. It just kind of surprises me, David, that they couldn't find enough customers that were vegan. It's New York City, right? Yeah, I'm sure there are enough, but I'm sure there's lots of vegan options, too, yeah, out there. Right. I do wonder, so you eat vegan because of health reasons, but there are other people Correct. who eat vegan um, out of a like a moral or an environmental stance, sure. and if you're one of those, you go. Maybe you don't want to support a restaurant that also Correct. serves meat because you are against Correct. that practice of eating meat. So I yes, uh, there's I wonder, a huge environmental yeah. impact. Yes, I, I understand that. But again, I'm not dying on that moral hill. We did it because you know we're getting older. We did it because a lot of my doctors at Mayo were vegan, and I thought, hmm, maybe they know something I don't. And you know, Mark and I aren't getting any younger. So that's that, that was our choice. Maybe we'll make a different choice. Maybe we'll really miss meat and decide that we want to go back. And that might be for another time. But I reserve the right to change my mind on all things. So we'll see. Scientists at the University of Copenhagen. Let's start this over. Hold on. There you go. Scientists Copenhagen. at the University of Copenhagen are researching the history of the kiss. No one knows for sure when humans first figured out that mouth-to-mouth contact could be used for romance, but science scientists reported last year that locking lips goes back at least 4,500 years. The findings published in the Journal of Science push back that date uh, a further 1,000 years through their 
recent re- re- research. So humans have been kissing for over mm-hmm. 4,000 years. Jordana, that begs the question on this Valentine's Day, when was your first kiss? How long is the history of Jordana Jesus. kissing? Oh, my gosh. I was 15 years old. It was behind bunk 13 at Tell Yehuda Overnight Camp with Matt Wallach, who was from Wallingford, Pennsylvania. I bet you didn't know I'd remember that kind of detail because oh. I have no idea what I had for dinner last I night. I knew you'd know the details, Jordana. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that bunk story, 13. but I knew you'd have a good answer to that. Matt Wallach. Matt Wallach. There you go. All right. First boyfriend. Um, what was yours? Um, my first... I was 15. Kind of a late bloomer, I think. My, uh, okay. I... Uh, I think I was 16, my first kiss with, oh, okay. with my... And you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't know that I can remember like the oh. actual moment of the first kiss, but it was my high school You don't remember your Matt Wallach? When I was 16. Okay. Uh, Do you remember her? Do you remember uh, who oh, it was? Yeah, 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 Angela, yeah. But just a friend, like not a love interest? No, no, it? It was my, no, it was my high school girlfriend. I dated her, oh, um, okay. I don't know, for a year and a half in, in high school, yeah. You know, kissing is a weird thing. It is. I, that story about how long we've been kissing, like who decided that they were going to go in for the first <laughs> well, smooch? Yes, because exactly. kissing <laughs> kissing serves no purpose. No. And I, I love kissing. I kiss my husband. I kiss my kids. I kiss my dog. You know, not on the mouth and not with tongue, but um, <laughs> on the head. You know, but kissing is a weird thing. You're swapping saliva, so it's pretty gross. Yep. Uh, and... It doesn't like serve a purpose. Like intercourse serves a purpose. Even physical touch serves a purpose, arousal, things like that, or satisfaction. Kissing doesn't have a purpose. And it's, uh, I think it's a strange, it, it really is a strange thing. You eat with your mouth, you can swap germs, you can get sick. So it's a, a strange human thing. Do other, uh, David, of course, you're not an expert on, you're not a Dr. Doolittle, but do other animals kiss? Uh, yeah, that I don't know the answer to. I don't Jordan. know the answer. I'm not sure. I know. I feel like we need to get a doctor to we'll look into that. See if uh, they kiss. But kissing is a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, Valley Fair is gearing up for the 2024 season by hiring more than 1,600 seasonal workers, operators at the amusement park in Shakopee say they'll kick off a week-long hiring blicks this Saturday, filling positions that include ride operators, lifeguards, and security they will hire workers as young as 14 years old. Jordana, oh boy, you've got teenagers. Would you encourage your kids to work at Valley Fair as a summer job? Well, it's not Action Park, so it's a lot That's safer. Right. That's and right. <laughs> hopefully nobody gets hurt. Um, yeah, I think that's a great summer job, actually. I think there's probably camaraderie about the people who work there. I bet you meet and see a lot of people that are coming through. I think that's a great summer job as long as there's some training, some safety measures in place, and certainly, you know, boundaries. I imagine Valley Fair's got it down. They're not one of those dangerous action parks. So absolutely, I think that would be a great summer job. Is anybody, I'd be curious if anybody has worked at Valley Fair and, and enjoyed it. Did you ever work there, David? Uh, no, I never worked there. I always remember going to Valley Fair and there would be mm-hmm. like exchange workers. So it would be these like college age oh. kids from like... Europe or wherever that had an uh-huh. accent and you can kind of tell they're, um, but they would, I guess, be going to school here in some form of exchange program. And then this is the job they would get during the summer. So I, I don't know if that still happens a lot, but I remember seeing a lot of workers like that. But it's far. So like they kind of need access to a car, 
you know, unless they have on, I, you know, site housing, which I, I don't think they do. I think employees. they do. Well, we should look into that. I oh. believe they do have on site housing or at least offer some nearby with a busing service or something. I think they do have a program like that. I'd be smart. Yeah, totally. I think that'd be a great job. Uh, if you want to share your Valley Fair story when you were uh, working there, I want to hear it. I also want to hear about the journey from mouth to colon. I know that's a little bit gross and you might be having breakfast, but there is a pill cam, literally a pill cam that you can swallow. It's going to take pictures all the way through your intestines. They're using it at Hennepin Healthcare and the director of gastroenterology and liver, Dr. Jake Matlock, is going to join us next to talk about the pill cam. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Anyone who's ever gotten a colonoscopy knows the worst part is the prep. It's gross. You're pooping all night. You got to drink all this stuff. Gross. So what if you could just swallow a pill that had a little camera that can go through your colon, your intestines, and see if there's any problems? Well, you can. And I was listening to Dr. David Heldon's podcast, Healthy Matters. I heard him talking with Dr. Jate Matlock, who is the medical director of gastroenterology and liver at Hennepin Healthcare. And I said, you know what? We got to ask him about the pill cam on our show. So Dr. Matlock is joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. And Dr. Matlock, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jordan. It's great to be here. Well, the first question everybody wants to know is, is it reusable? <laughs> Sad, sadly, or perhaps happily, no. It is a one-time-use device. Okay. So <laughs> we all feel a little better about that, Dr. Matlock. We're very grateful. So talk to, you know, give the listeners, it's radio, so you kind of have to explain what this thing looks like, how it's used, and uh, what it's taking pictures of. Sure. Uh, So the device that uh, you're referring to is called a video capsule endoscopy, and that's a long word uh, to describe a very small pill that has a light and a camera built inside it. And when we want to look at parts of the intestinal tract that we cannot reach with a scope, we will sometimes employ this pill to, to do our work for us. So what happens is that the uh, person swallows the pill and it begins taking pictures. It takes about two pictures every second until its battery dies, which is typically about eight hours into the test. And so for that eight hours, we we get uh, a picture of everything that the capsule passes. And we don't have any control over the capsule, so it tumbles through your intestinal tract, much like your food would, taking pictures all along the way. Uh, So it's not a perfect test, but it is a good opportunity to see parts of the intestine that are otherwise unreachable. So is this just for endoscopies, which, please correct me because I'll be wrong, is the upper part of the GI tract? This isn't for colonoscopies. This is actually neither for colonoscopies nor upper endoscopies. This is for the the great uh, uh, tract of intestine in the middle between the two tests. 
So an upper endoscopy can reach from your mouth to about a 8 to 10 inches beyond your stomach with, with routine exam. Mm-hmm. A colonoscopy looks from the bottom end and looks at about the last 5 to 6 feet of your intestinal tract. But there's about 20 feet in between the ends of those two exams, which, which we're blinded to when using a scope. And that's really where the capsule comes in as an important tool. Okay, so who's this for? What kind of problems do we see in that area? And, and what, how could, what do you diagnose? So the, the two main things that we uh, look for with the capsule are either causes of bleeding in the small intestine. And again, this is for people who have not had a cause identified from an upper endoscopy or a colonoscopy. Or in the second case, people who have some disorder of their small intestine, such as Crohn's disease, as you you mentioned Mm -hmm. listening to Dr. Hilden's podcast the other Mm -hmm. day, and we were talking specifically about Crohn's disease during that episode. And this can be a very valuable tool because that particular disorder often affects the small intestine. And and this is one of the tools that we have to, to look and see those effects and try to figure out how to help somebody get better. Right. So this is a diagnostic tool to, to confirm what you may think already. It is a purely diagnostic tool. That's actually one of the main limitations of the test because we have no control over the capsule. We can't, by the time I see the images, the capsule is already gone. And so I can't slow it down and tell it to go back and take more pictures of a certain area. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, you get what you get. Um, well, speaking of it being gone, Doc, so they, people who take this just um, forgive my crudeness, but they just like poop it out and it gets flushed down the yeah. toilet or do you have to capture it? I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, do, do you need the, do you need the pill to take pictures of or to take out the pictures out? No, uh, the, the pill does pass with a person's bowel movements. We encourage people not to look for it, not to try to retrieve it, just let it be. Um, the the images that the uh, pic- pictures that the camera captures are radioed to a belt that the person wears around their waist during the day when the oh. test is ongoing, and it's that that belt and the the receiver that we need to download the pictures and actually be able to complete the exam. But the pill itself is is disposable, single use. So it's it when it's gone, it's gone. Do all patients know that, or sometimes is there confusion that they try to find it? Well, I think we have learned, and and I think most endoscopy units have learned through uh, experience to be very clear with people that we don't want them to retrieve the pill and we don't want it back. We have, uh, in the past, had people uh, worry about not being able to retrieve it and, and, and call us concerned about that. We've had a few people who have gone to great efforts and actually retrieved the pill and returned it to us, which it's, it's, I think it's always a little disappointing when they, they do that and they realize that well, what we're going to do is throw it away. So um, we try to be as clear as we can with folks, but, but sometimes there's confusion. <laughs> people do still try to retrieve it, but, but yeah, to be clear, we don't want it back. Yeah, I don't blame you. Okay, so Doc, how big is it? And are the pictures good? Like, can you fit a good camera in a small? You said it's small. How how big are we talking? Uh, it's about the size of a large multivitamin, and okay. so it's it's less than half an inch long and and less than a quarter inch uh, across. Its camera is good for what it is meant to do. So because of the size limitations on the on the device, because it needs to be swallowed, 
the camera has to be quite small. The light source, mm-hmm. similarly, has to be quite small. And it does a good job in the small intestine where the, the caliber of the tube is also quite small. And so uh, I make the analogy sometimes that, that it, if you have a candle and you walk into a closet, you can see the walls pretty well. But if you have a candle and you walk into Viking Stadium, you really can't see the walls very well. It's too, the, the power of your light is not sufficient. And similarly with this device, if you're in a large, capacious room like the stomach or the colon, you're not going to see very well just because your light is not adequate. And the focal length of the lens on the camera is also not adequate to really capture things that far away. Is it expensive? Because you throw them out. It's single use. It is single use. Um, uh, I would say that that doing the test, um, when you include the cost of the device and the uh, facility fees and so forth that go along with with most medical testing, is a low four-digit number. We're going to pay out of pocket for it. Um, it, Thankfully, the, the indications for the for the test are fairly well uh, accepted. And so if it is something that a person needs, it is typically uh, something that will be covered by their insurance if they are fortunate enough to have that. Oh, okay. That's that's great news. Excellent. Um, any funny stories? Anytime? Maybe <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't come out or uh, see anything strange in there? Well, I, I, uh, the occasions when people retrieve the, the the pill are probably the funniest stories because um, if the battery is still working, I get to watch them retrieve it. And, and the we we even had one one patient, uh, and I'll, I'll I won't even say when this was, other than to say it was a long time ago, who managed to retrieve it, wash it off, and re-swallow it, which you know was not something that not really sure what was going on in that person's mind, but uh, I got to see the whole thing. Oh, no. Oh, my God, Doc, that's crazy. It's, oh yeah, so we, have, we have to be very careful with the instructions we give folks to make sure that we cover all potential possibilities. Yeah, okay, and follow the instructions, everybody. I'm speaking with Dr. Jake Matlock, who is the uh, Director of Gastroenterology and Liver at Hennepin Healthcare. Uh, Doc, will this at some point, because, boy, we lament our colonoscopies, will this be available for colonoscopies at some point? You know, I think that, that that's tempting to think about. My suspicion mm-hmm. is that uh, that's not the way that we're going to get rid of colonoscopy. I do think that colonoscopy will be replaced by other tests in the not-too-distant future. This test, I don't think will do that, mainly because, again, the limitations on the light and the optics of the camera are part of the problem. The, I think, more salient issue, though, is that, that even if you did have a perfect light and a perfect camera for the colon, you would still need to do a prep to clean the colon out. You'd still need oh, to have a clean okay. surface to look at. And that's, you know, that, that preparation process is really the part that seems to bother people the most. It's, it, most yes. people tell us that's the hardest part of the test. And so I don't, well, think, this is this, real- I don't think this would get you out of it. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, this is super cool. Uh, I know we, we call it the pill cam, but it does have a technical name and it is available at uh, Hennepin Healthcare for, for uh, parts. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Again, Dr. Jake, Matlo- Jake Matlock, uh, Medical Director of Gastroenterology and Liver at Hennepin Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, we did enjoy this conversation. Yeah, well, 
thank you very much for having me. Take care of yourself. You, you got it. Thank you. And no, David, there's not going to be a drone where the pill is a little robot. And then David says to me, can it be a robot? And can we like drone through somebody's colon? No, wait, David, no, the doctor that said that you're you're um, at the whim of how this pill tumbles through your system. So I think the next level of this is that there's like a little propulsion system added to the pill. And then like there's like a driver that can go around and steer it back and forth and take the pictures you want. Maybe you'd get to drive, there'd be like a headset and you could drive your own around inside your, oh, that would be the coolest thing. <laughs> you could have a doctor like in Minnesota and then doing it for somebody in a different part of the world. Oh, I mean, yeah, you could farm that is, out, yeah. Yeah, anything is possible, so you're right. But, oh my God, that story about someone who fished it out. <laughs> and, and re-swallowed, re-swallowed it. it. <laughs> what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> And he got to watch the whole thing because, you know, the camera's still hilarious. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back to wrap up the hour. (laughs) It is Valentine's Day. And while I love love, I do lament the buying of useless cards that end up on the trash heap or recycled at best um, and expensive chocolates when in a few days they're definitely going to be on sale. But I read this and I thought it was surprising. Maybe not everyone loves love as much as I do. 45% of women between the ages of 25 and 44 will be single in 2030. That means they're either not getting married or they're getting divorced and not staying married or, you know, they're going to be single, not even have a partner. 41% said they're not even actively looking to date. But if you spent time in David Josephson basement, it may be the opposite. He, it's, a, it's a love shack. Down there, okay, and okay, he has okay. had great success making shidachs. Shidachs are matches in Yiddish. I mean, not, you know, I, I mean that no other way. All right, tell us about the basement, David, the love shack. <laughs> well, okay, so we, um, we we live in a house that has like a basement bedroom and bathroom adjacent yeah. it that we don't need or use yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the last handful of years, we have uh, we have like rented it out. I mean, it's like friends and family only, and they help out a little bit and stuff like that. So we've had a, a handful of roommates um, come in and out, and it's it's people we know, it's friends, and the first roommate we had was uh, already dating when he moved in and got engaged right after he moved into our house and stayed with us for a year and got married. The next two roommates both moved into our house uh, we're looking for someone to get married to. My wife helped both of them find someone. And then both of them moved out of our basement to get married to those people that my wife had set them up with. One of them had their meet cute, their first little interaction in our backyard. The other one got engaged at our house in said basement uh, to move out. So that's we're three for three. We currently have... Um, my wife's brother is living with us, and he uh, he would make it four for four, and I think he's our last roommate. I think we're done after this, uh, but she's been unsuccessful so far. So so far, that's our. I think it's current... all Katrina. Well, Katrina uh, yes, knows how to is, pick them. She does well. She does for those two, but she has. Um, <clears throat> he's gone on a few first date onlys at uh, Katrina's suggestion that have not worked out. Oh. So we're still working on brother, but yeah. The Josephson basement is so far three for three uh, with one more in the works for 
getting people. So married. if you're looking for love, yeah, I know. Call David. The rents are going to go up dramatically. After I know we this don't charge nearly, here nearly on the radio, <laughs> right? Not only will you, you know, get to spend time with David and Katrina and the girls and get good food and a fun atmosphere, but you might get lucky in love. This is fan. I'll have to. I'll love to get Katrina on the show and find out what her secret sauce is for matchmaking because she seems to really have it together. Uh, that is impressive, David. So thank you for sharing that on this Valentine's Day. Um, some new words are going into whether it be Urban Dictionary or regular dictionaries. David, you failed miserably on our couples quiz that sure we did, did for yeah. Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. But I think I might have to test you on some slang words, which you'll probably do better on when we return. The news is next, and i got to tell you that right now it is 10.57. That is a Linda's Construction time check. Time to invest in clog-free leaf guard gutters and receive 50% off installation labor. I'll be right back. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 